0: Srila <coughs> Gurudev Ki Jai, Shriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sadi Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrindaki Ki Jai, Gaur Praman Hari Hari Voh. <coughs> so, my pranam to all of you, <coughs> good morning from Raleigh, happy Shivaratri. all of you present today and everyone celebrating today this glorious uh, Vaishnava event Mm -hmm. in connection to Mahadev. Mm -hmm. So on this auspicious occasion we are continuing with our series of lectures of Vaishnava etiquette and uh, we will today start our class number 14 and we will kind of continue with a new topic after having spoken for three lectures about Diksha Mantras, Nam and Sankirtan, today we will start speaking about Archana mm-hmm. and what's the role, of course, of Vaishnava etiquette in such a realm. Mm-hmm. So please, the ones who have, are able to activate your camera will be happy to have of your, the Archana of the Vaishnava's faces. That will be a nice interaction. So, first of all, as usual, let's do a brief recap of our previous meeting, where we were uh, doing our third Mm -hmm. lecture on Diksha Mantras, Namjapa and Sankirtan. Especially we focused on Sankirtan Mm -hmm. in our previous class on Monday. Uh, Well, of course, what we mainly said in the beginning, as usual, is we shared some Tatwa, some some bandhas, some... uh, conceptual orientation towards the very practice of Sankirtan, which is our main sadhana, if you will, Maha sadhana. Um It's important to conceive, we mentioned this, It's import, how important it is to conceive Sankirtan as a crucial aspect of our daily practice and not only um, uh, limit that to a preaching tactic or something that we will go out to the street to inspire new people to come to the temple, if we will. Which also, of course, there is place for that, but in a proper way. But first of all, that will happen as much as we are embracing Sankirtan <laughs> as a main limb of our sadhana. So Sankirtan is not merely a preaching strategy, it's not, uh, what to say, of musical entertainment or something like that, but Sankirtan is a crucial aspect, Yuga Dharma established by Mahaprabhu himself. So when defining Sankirtan, we also, of course, have the concept of quantity, congregational chanting, group, group, uh, celebration, if you will, but also the word Sam has to do with Samyak or completeness not only number, but again in inner inner participation Mm -hmm. so for Sankirtan to really deserve such a name if you will, is not only enough for us to have a good amount of people participating in that, but that all those members, or ideally at least starting with ourselves, we understand that to be part of Sankirtan means to surrender ourself, to surrender our ego in a healthy way, throw that to the fire of sacrifice in order for Sankirtan to become a complete offering. So we all also mentioned the conception of cooperation as crucial aspect of Sankirtan. Love begins with that with cooperation and that's the best way to really understand we are doing we are all, all of us in this together. And so each one's contribution is a crucial aspect hmm, of what we have to offer to Bhagavan in the form again of Sankirtan. Hmm. So what else? We, of course, in this connection invoked the third verse of Sikshastaka, which is a really golden rule for us in Gaudiya Vedanta. is our golden rule for everything, not only for congregational chanting, but for every single step we may want to, to take in our spiritual life. And then we started to share some other considerations like of course remaining open to the idea that there will be different types of Sankirtan, different styles of it, we of course didn't enter into the details of that, Uh, different moods of Kirtan, different Kirtans with different moods themselves, so how to approach them properly. For example, we mentioned a nice um, consideration which will be to start chanting Glorifying Vaishnava, glorifying Sri Guru, then going to Nityananda, Goranga, then Radha Krishna. You know, like this gradual sequence of proper conception of how to approach mm-hmm. these different levels of transcendence. Mm-hmm. Also something that I did not mention last class, it's a detail, but I think it's important to mention, and we spoke about that on the, when we spoke about Guru, is that when you perform a Kirtan, you do not glorify... Your own guru directly, like for example, mentioning his name when saying Jai, whatever. No, instead, you will say Jai Gurudeva, Jai Gurudeva, Jai Gurudeva, Jai Guru Maharaj, but you won't mention directly the name of your guru because there may be other devotees there who have other gurus, and in order to properly honor their particular inspiration, you will invoke a more generic representation of them, and each one will feel comfortable enough to include their guru there. So, in the similar way. In kirtan, ideally, we should not uh, start kirtan by invoking the pranam mantra of one's guru. Because, again, this applies to the same idea. I know that in Iskand this has been established in the times of Prabhupada, and I know that Prabhupada allowed that, I, I will say, that as a way of furthering the faith of, of his disciples. But, if you will, technically speaking, the, ideally, the idea will be to just to start the kirtan. You, as, as For example, our Guru Maharaj, what he does is invoking the Omagyana Timirandasya verse in the beginning, which is, again, an abstract address to the Guru principle, and each one may fit in that according to their particular mood. So, generally, the Kirtan will start with the whatever song we are singing or panchadatu mantra followed by Maha Mantra. But generally, the Pranam, guru, the pranam Mantra story of one's Guru is more reserved for whatever, Puja, personal, Pranam, daily offerings, and so on. Also, we share some ideas about different melodies, different ragas that are mentioned in the scripture that are described, passed through tradition to invoke particular types of rasa, particular types of emotions, according to every kirtan. These are nice details to consider that will enhance our uh, connection with the, the very mood and the very feeling that that particular kirtan may want to convey. Also, we spoke a little bit about the main instruments, which are our voice, our heart, our ears. That's the main aspect of the participation. And of course, on on top of that, we may have other things like mridanga cartels and other instruments. In this connection, we share how Mahaprabhu himself organized his kirtan, that's described in Chaitanya Charitamrita, which different groups which different instruments and how each instrument should follow each other and not being independent, we also share some words about that we shouldn't be like self-centered in our own musical expression but follow, anuga, this is a path of following so we should be expert in following of course and even if you are leading a kirtan a kirtan leader is expert in leading the kirtan but also in following the kirtan so the two sides of the coin must be there Of course, there is a place for musical expertise in the context of Seva. We also spoke about that. It's not that that has to be dismissed altogether. We can offer all of our attributes and talents to Bhagavan, since those talents, he himself, is the active principle in them. It's not our own. Also, we went even to the point of mentioning something about tuning instruments and the volumes of each instrument in order to create some proper harmony that again, it, it may be a relative detail, but may enhance the mood of the offering. We mentioned something about Indian instruments, Indian music, that in one side is not only Indian, but it's there in the lila, as we feel, see in, the, in our shastras that are revealing how these things take place in the Nityadam. And we will see there are certain instruments and there are considerations of things like raga, tal, and so on. So it's not something to dismiss altogether in the name of Vedic, uh, relative Indian culture, but it's Vedic culture which is, plays itself out in the as we mentioned in our lecture on Vedic culture. Of course there is place for other instruments and other moods, but the point is we should be very careful of not validating, if you will, our uh, material scars through those instruments or through those whatever, tones or moods you may be using. And instead we may be validating further and further Bhakti scars, not bhakti scars, nor mukti scars. Mm-hmm. So that's important point to think, and we should pay attention to how that's working on us. Halina farichete was the fruit that is coming. We share some words about the dharmonium and the role of dharmonium, and some nice uh, words from Sila Prabhupada about that, mm-hmm. and also the importance of, of course, absorbing ourselves in, in Sankirtan of the Maha Mantra, but also importance of other kirtans which are there to complement and to convey the real intent and purpose of the maha mantra also we spoke about the possibility of singing in other languages that may not be only sanskrit or bengali there are many kirtans in hindi in oriya and some other languages for for sure spanish english and so on so if that's nourishing our participation in kirtan there's a place for that for sure Also, we share some words regarding how to participate in Sankirtan in the context of dancing, how to understand that breakdancing and body surfing and things like that do not necessarily nourish our participation in in the Raga mark. So, we should also be careful again not to make Sankirtan a a show, an entertainment event, because Sankirtan is not there to entertain us, to serve us, but we are there Mm -hmm. to to serve Sankirtan and to entertain the possibility of being a servant in such a circle, if you want to make a play of words. So, some brief recap of what we were studying in our previous lecture, and today, as I mentioned, we are beginning with a new chapter, if you will, of this series, where we will be speaking about Vaishnava etiquette, but now in the context of Archana. So I think this will take at least two meetings, let's see if more... (laughs) So, of course, this is a realm where many things will be will have to be said about Vaishnava etiquette, but again, hopefully all this in the context of common sense, natural sensibility, and things that will be easy to catch and embrace, not some irrational imposition, whimsical statement, but something that really makes sense with our ultimate ideal. So well, we haven't, in this way, already till now at this point already we have developed our day. Remember, all this is presented a little bit in the context of how the the daily schedule of a sadhak unfolds. Mm-hmm. So we spoke already about uh, sleeping, waking up, and the various morning duties such as bathing and achaman, tilak, mm-hmm. chanting our diksha mantras, chanting nam in japa, chanting nam sankirtan. So now we will continue next uh, by approaching the realm again of ritual in the form or in the context of arjuna. Since sometimes this usually comes after all these practices in our daily schedule for those who daily engage in arjuna or, or at some point, some moment during the day. Uh, needless to say, this won't be a seminar on how to worship the deity and I won't describe in detail how to render Seva to Srimurti in itself, and the mantras, and all the procedures, that's a whole different uh, section, if you will, or, or series of lectures dedicated to that, because that requires something much more personalized, more detailed, more extended, and also that's directed to those who have already received Diksha. Mm? So, of course, this does, does not apply to, to everyone and anyone. Mm? Of course, everyone can realize some form of worship, daily worship, even without diksha, at home with some picture uh, of Sri Guru mm, and one since Tadev. It's not that only those who have diksha can perform arjuna. Of course, some form of arjuna is only preserved for those with diksha because that will be, Archana will be executed through the diksha mantras one receives in diksha. But for others who stay at home, make have some daily simple worship mm, of a picture or someone who travels a lot a little bit like myself, Uh, one can carry some also pictures of one's sister dev and Sri Guru and make some daily mental offering somehow or other. Again, this is something to be adjusted on a more personalized level. So today we will share in the next class some general advice in connection to how to conceive properly uh, this realm and how to deal with that in, in, in practice on some level or another. So of course, before... As usual, before going to the more practical tips and considerations, we will share, probably all along today's class, some proper sambanda mm-hmm. conceptual orientation towards this lima archana. Mm-hmm. Since, as, as we already mentioned, as much as we have a proper conception of whatever we are addressing, we will address it with proper regard. Mm-hmm. And Vaishnava I think it has a lot to do with having proper regard, proper appreciation mm, towards that sacred person, that sacred item, that sacred practice, whatever, all the sacredness surrounding our daily bhakti engagements. mm. So, to begin with, uh, I'd like to clarify, to share some terminological, if you will, clarification regarding the term arjuna, because different terms are used in this connection. Uh, like Puja, like Seva, like Archana, and so on. So, strictly speaking, uh, we could say that in our particular Gaudiya Sampradaya, because there are different Sampradayas that engage in Archana, as you may know, that this is a very famous limb of Hinduism altogether, even followers of Advaita Vedanta, what well to speak other devotional lineages, engage in Archana. So, but in our particular Gaudiya Sampradaya, Strictly speaking, although sometimes the word may be used puja in this case, there is no puja strictly speaking. The word puja means worship, but mostly in the raga mark, when I say Gaudiya Sampradaya means the raga mark, it's seva, and that's why sometimes when we speak about offenses to the deity, you will hear the term seva aparad. Of course, the term seva can extend to so many other areas uh, beyond the altar, but generally when we speak about hmm, serving the deities, we generally won't use the term Puja, which implies a little bit more of an Aishvaric, if you will, conception, proper of some other Sampradayas, like Sri Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya, but Seva, which has to do, and, and Archana in this term, in this sense, I will. we, we should understand Archana in terms of Seva, although sometimes Archana may be used in the context of Puja, if you will, in others and lineages and so on. So there is some difference between Puja and Seva. For example, as I mentioned, puja will be done in other sampradayas like uh, Ramanuja or Sri Sampradaya, Madhva Sampradaya. They will express themselves in those terms. And puja, in that case, means that you offer something by chanting certain mantras and you offer something to the deity. You chant a particular mantra, you offer whatever, upachar article, mm, to Srimurti. But there you won't find stress on, 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 on favorable service, if you will, of anukul seva, of having a pleasing attitude toward your istadev, like in Uttan bhakti, in the Raga Mark. We will find, and that's why we call it seva, because again, seva sometimes is translated as service, but actually it means to please the object of our affection, mm. basically. To really want to please the object of our affection, so that's synonymous with. Anukul Seva, render favorable service, not only doing something that pleases the deity, but with the intention of pleasing the deity. So that's especially in the context of Uttan Bhakti. Mm -hmm. So Seva means to serve in a loving manner, affectionate way, with certain degree of intimacy, as much as we can afford. Mm -hmm. While in the other Sampradayas, like Ramanuja, Madhva Sampradaya, they mainly have other conception, not to, of course, criticize them at all, just that's another uh, constellation, if you will, another mood. They will also follow considerations for, regarding uh, Archana, or Puja in their case, they will follow in the varnashram Ashram system, strictly Pancharatika vidhi, which means the person has to be qualified, born in the varnashram Ashram system, as a Brahmin, they will have strict considerations in that in that regard. So in Newton Bhakti, we will accept Ishwar, or Bhagavan, in a loving manner, trying to follow in the footsteps of the residents of Raj. So there is a sense of relationship, hmm? we will render some service, hopefully in a pleasing mood, We will, and on that basis of that we will offer whatever article, but first we offer ourselves hmm, to our deity, from a particular vantage point. And what follows is, <clears throat> we may offer in this and that, but first it's our own offering, hmm? So, therefore, the word seva, or sometimes a word that comes also as a synonym to seva, in this case is paricharya.
1: Hmm?
0: Paricharya is used in, in Uttan Bhakti mostly. Seva or paricharya. Okay, I, I will be also, also using the word Archana, but I like the word seva and paricharya. I didn't put seva as a title because seva can also be applied to so many things. But I personally like that term a lot hmm? to, to guru, guru seva, and, and so on in every direction. So, in, in, in our tradition, right from the time of Diksha, as we already explained, one is surrendering to Bhagavan, at least accepting that commitment, that ideal, mm? accepting Bhagavan, Ishwar, Triguru. guru mm? <clears throat> And a Bhagavan is accepting the devotee. Of course, this reciprocal dealing is there. So, the service starts in that context. While in other sampradayas, something that happens also is that they will invite the deity, I worship the deity by chanting certain mantras. <clears throat> they will follow the process according to the Bidi Mark, the Bhiti Rules and Regulations Oriented System. And when the worship is over, let's say, they will send the deity off. Where, where some particular purpose is attained. That happens. The, the deity is sent off. While in Uttan Bhakti, there is an eternal relationship with the deity. It's not a temporary thing that I will worship for Particular time, particular purpose, but actually, as we will see today, the altar itself is a portal to my eternal ideal. So there is no question <clears throat> of inviting the deity and sending then the deity off. Actually, we will offer ourselves and whatever articles we offer with love, with affection, we treat. And ideally, according to the ragamark, Bhagavan is treated as a family member, basically. The, intima, the intimacy of Braj is such. Bhagavan is seen with those lands, with the affection of Braj, with Bhagavan is one more member of, of, of this family, village family in Braj. So that's there's a, that's the a difference between Puja and on the other side, Seva, paricharya or Archana, as we may want to, to call it. In other words, here in our Bhakti mark, Raga mark, Uttan bhakti mark, the point is, the, the sadhaka shouldn't feel I like have a, an independent existence. There should there should not be that sense. We already spoke about that in our lectures on Guru. So if we wanted to wor- if we want to worship Bhagavan, Sri Krishna Mahaprabhu, we have to worship him by becoming his person, if you will, his property, his family member. We have to come under his fold. And that's why as we already mentioned generally before starting Arjuna, we have this Buddha city or this uh, practice or invoking some particular mantra sometimes that help us to orientate our sense of identity mm, but sometimes even if you really are sincerely engaging in the ragamara you don't even need to invoke the mantra because your whole lifestyle is around that about being per, uh, belonging mm, to Sri Guru and Bhaijana of Sri Hari so that's the Buddha Sudhi on a daily basis at every step and that's the very meaning interestingly of the word Upasana Mm, which is sometimes translated as worship, also upashana. Upashana means re- coming close, similar to upanishad. Mm. Upa asana. Mm. Upa means close, and asana means to sit, to 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 get closer. So especially this applies for us in the Ragamar. Mm. We perform upashana, worship, which means for us getting closer mm, to Bhagavan through that worship, attaining higher and higher degrees of intimacy in the context of of seva. Mm. <clears throat> sorry. So first of all, I wanted to clarify this in, regarding the different terms. <clears throat> because even even beyond the term, it's nice for us to un- understand what we intend when we enter the altar, if you will. So Archana <clears throat> sorry, is a very important aspect of Bhakti. Hmm? Novel action Bhakti. Hmm? Panchanga Bhakti. Sometimes we find these two divisions. Pra says in the Bhagavatan, Shravan Kirtanam Bishusmanam Padasibanam Archanam Bandanam Dasan Sakimatmanivedan. Archana is mentioned as one of the nine main limbs of Bhakti. Also when Rupa Goswami describes the sixty four angas of Utan Bhakti, he describes Archana there, especially in the five last ones, which kind of summarize the first fifty nine practices when he says Sadhu Sangha, Namakirtan, bhagavat Shraban, Matura Basa, Sevana. Again, he invokes the word Seva there. He says srimurti Shradhaya Sevana. So to serve Srimurti, to render favorable Seva to Srimurti with faith. So both in this Navalakshan Bhakti, nine limb bhakti and five limb bhakti, Archana is there. So it's a very important practice. One of the main things that are generally highlighted in that regard is <coughs> How in Archana all our senses are engaged. Mm. It's a really comprehensive engagement. That's, that speaks a lot about what Sadhana Bhakti is about you know, engaging our senses for the pleasure of the Lord of the senses. Mm. While in another practice where we may engage in some other sense, we can be chanting Japas, my Guru Mahesh will say, you can sleep, fall asleep chanting Japa, but for sure you won't fall asleep by chanting. By during, during Archana, because there is a, a higher degree of engagement for all of your senses. Mm? So our particular tradition, our Bhakti tradition is extremely mm, uh, sensual in that sense, you know, sensory if you will, engaging all of our senses. It's not an ascetic tradition per se, but it actually has a lot to do with sense. <clears throat> sense perception, sense engagement, sense gratification towards Krishna for sure, but using ours, sense, our senses in, in that connection. So Arjuna is really much tied to this. So let's share some ideas about the very concept of art to be graha, or murti, or deity, as, as you may like to call, the form of Bhagavan appearing in such a way that lends itself to be uh, served by us. And also the importance of <clears throat> The spiritual background of Srimurti because generally this, this thing will come, but the deity is just a form, mm. it's a material form, it's made of wood, made of whatever material is made, marble. So, are you worshipping an idol? It's that idolatry. Sometimes these questions come, and, and especially in Hinduism that you see this worship everywhere, <clears throat> no matter the tradition. But actually, as we know, this has nothing to do with idolatry, but it's real spirit of worship. Because according to our tradition, matter is one energy of Bhagavan. It's in the service of Bhagavan. And as much as matter is engaged in the service of its source, it becomes imbued by that influence. As much as matter, maya shakti if you want to call it, is put under the influence of bhakti shakti or surup shakti, matter becomes spiritualized. In Christianity, they have this term of transubstantiation of matter <clears throat> in the Mass, where the bread is at one point and the wine is seen as the blood and the flesh of Christ, of whatever. At one point of the ceremony, we speak about something happened there. I sometimes give a more ordinary example, if you will, but if you are, don't know, if you were a fan of some music, musician, who died, I don't know, 50 years ago, and suddenly I brought you the guitar that the musician used in his last concert, for you, that guitar is not just a piece of matter. For you, the person is present there on some level or another. It's imbued with the presence, the influence of that personality. Of course, this is not exactly the same example of Arch and Vigra, but my point is, we even have a sense of this immaterial perception. While in this case, we are speaking about, again... <clears throat> Bhagavan entering in a particular form, and the more important, most important point here is by the invitation of the sadhu. The sadhu has some bhakti in his heart, so according to that bhakti, Bhagavan is present in the heart of the sadhu, and he or she will invite Bhagavan to reside in a particular form. And Bhagavan is forced to do so, as we as we know, he has not he has but no option but to appear there because his, where bhakti is, where love is, Bhagavan is there so the point is the deity is, is taking the, the deity is the external form of the hearts the sadhu of the heart the devotion, the love that the sadhu has it takes a particular form in the form of Sri Murti as Prabhupada will say in a form that we can handle it I remember once I was in in, in Colombia I think like 10 years ago or so and pro, we were in a some program after Hari Art was there and one person came newcomer and told me everything was very nice but something there's something difficult for me to digest and it's that and he pointed to the altar to say I mean you have been speaking about God being infinite unlimited but how again and this is the classical question you are limiting the unlimited by reducing him to that particular form by saying that he's there he's unlimited so how can the unlimited be limited to a form and of course I reply by invoking famous quote by Siddhar Maharaj, he will say, how can you limit the unlimited to not be able to be present in a form and still remain unlimited? Mm. So unlimited means unlimited possibilities. (laughs) So unlimited means he can be present in a form and still remain unlimited. I mean, that really conforms to the idea of unlimited. Much more than saying, no, unlimited cannot have a form. Actually, by saying that, you are limiting the unlimited. Mm. And that's what many spiritual practitioners say. If you speak in a form, he cannot have a form, he cannot have too many names, he cannot do that, he cannot do that. And in the name of not limiting the unlimited, the only thing that they are doing is limiting him more and more. (laughs) So our tradition presents a much more comprehensive idea. How can we limit the unlimited to not being able to have a form and still remain unlimited, to have spiritual form, a form that facilitates mm, loving interaction instead of obstructing it. Mm. So that's the very idea of Sri Murti. So we need certain philosophy to approach mm, uh, Sri Murti. Because if not we may mistake that of course for material a material form, but that will be our, our only only our projection there. And this of course that may be especially complex if as I mentioned many of us or some of us may come from a Western background with some Christian DNA or whatever, when sometimes there will be no image worship there. Mm. And, and because of that, many people may consider Hinduism like profane or polytheistic. They worship everything. As once someone asks one, sadhu, do why you worship the cow? And he said, well, actually we worship even the broom that, that we use for cleaning the temple. Mm. So, like everything is worshipable in Hinduism. But it doesn't mean idolatry. Uh, people may see our altar. Sometimes they will see stones in our altar. We are worshiping shilas. <laughs> some people may see a, a, a form like Jagannath, which may seem like a totem for them and whatever taught totem. So again, some orient some some band is required to approach hmm, the principle of the deity,
1: hmm?
0: and it has nothing to do with idolatry because what's idolatry? Idolatry means a worship of that which is not God. Hmm? And actually, most of us, at least for some, most of the people, I mean, not necessarily Sadakas, but we also go through that in some parts of our day, we generally live in that conception sometimes. We are worshipping that which is not God. Of course, in one sense, everything is God from the Abed perspective. Everything is linked with Him. But on many occasions, we are dealing with reality as if God does not exist. So that's idolatry. So even in our process, work and progress as Sadakas, we are being idolatrous at some moment. Even though in theory, officially, we believe in God, we worship Him. (laughs) But at some moment, we we relate with things as if God is not there. So that's idolatry. And idolatry, of course, comes in a lot of different forms. Mm? Today, especially, Mm? in in, in a much more subtle way than bowing down to a golden calf, Mm? As, as you know the story, Christian story. Sometimes it may take the the form of choosing the wrong priorities, hmm? not having God as the topmost priority. Someone else is your God. So that's idolatry. You choose the wrong priorities. Or sometimes trusting in the wrong things, putting our confidence where it does not belong. All those things are extensions of idolatry. Hmm? So it's a subtle point. It's, and it's not so so easy to be free from all types of idolatry. So we should spend some time about thinking about that. For example, as 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 disciples, we may do something in relation to Sri Guru. We may express idolatry in relation to Sri Guru. Not because we should not worship Sri Guru, but because we may approach him or her in an idolatrous way. We may think that we are disciples only because we underwent some formality, like changing our name or getting some mark on our foreheads or a pat on our back in front of a burning banana or whatever, (laughs) and a couple of suahas here and there, end of of the story, and for us, that's I'm a disciple now. Mm -hmm. Now we have the immigration document, required for the pearly gates, whatever, the stairway to heaven, but it's not like that. I mean, it requires much more consideration for not make that sacred moment a a form of idolatry. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't want to lose myself. Let's go back to the topic deity worship mm. so going back to the issue deity worship and the conception of idolatry there is this famous saying that says beauty lies or sometimes sin depending on the case in this case mm. we, beauty lies in the eye of the beholder mm. so here we could extend the idea of the sin of idolatry lies in the eye of the beholder mm. not in the in the beholded in itself but in the eye of the one who is contemplating which is the conception behind the eye which is the eye, behind the eye, that will speak if there is real Seva, real archana, or idolatry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For example, the, glo- the gross idolatry, idolatrous, I don't know what's the word, the one who engages in idolatry, but no problem. The gross one is supposing, for example, the Absolute has a form made of earth and will worship that with, with a gross conception and the subtle idolatry may think the Absolute has no form altogether at all. That will be another form of idolatry, if you will. Mm. For example, those who follow the radical non-dualism of Advaita Vedanta, they engage in abstract thinking in that sense, neti neti, mm. and they call that worship, maybe. But actually, we, we, we could say on the strength of our theistic conception that that's a very subtle form of idolatry. Mm. Mm. God has no form, there is no form altogether, there is no individuality and so on. So, if we ask ourselves how to free, get rid of all forms of idolatry, which is important because we are speaking about render-seva to Sri Murti, which has, is the opposite of idolatry, well, we, will, <clears throat> we may find the, the, the answer to how to get free from all idolatry in the Bhagavad itself, uh, which takes, says to us that basically the, the most important thing here is to, will be to accept the power of the Absolute, the will, of the absolute to take the initiative, if you will, to reveal himself, to descend descend to our plane of understanding in the form of Srimurti. to understand the absolute the infinite can show himself to define it in particular ways, authorized ways, if you will so when we see the when we say the deity of Krishna, of course I, I mean Krishna himself, that's an important point that we are starting to to unfold here. the deity is Krishna. It's not the Deity of Krishna. As we say, the name of Krishna is Krishna, and so on. So the Deity, or God, (laughs) is not created in the image and, 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 and similar features as the human beings, but actually the opposite. We are created to the image of God, if you will. Some similar conception to what Christianity may say there. So this deity, which we may call deity, is actually mm-hmm. a very generous extension of Bhagavan's direct grace. Mm-hmm. So in order to f- further understand this idea, let me invoke one fivefold uh, definition that Ramanujacharya gives, but also is invoked by our Gaudi-Acharyas, of this 5 fivefold way in which the Absolute extends Himself to us. So he, he says, Parabhya Bhai-Bhava Antaryami, Archa. So there we have the five-fold representation. Para, vyuha Vaibhav, mm? Antajami in Archa. Para means original Supreme Godhead, the source of every other form of the divine. Mm? So I am Bhagavan Sri Krishna for us. Mm? So Para. There we have vyuha vyuha means his extended self, mm? or Prakash sometimes, expansion of Bhagavan mm? into the spiritual world. As we may speak in terms of baladev or some other types of prakash or buha. then we have further extension called avatar. We will see that these are further and further extensions. Avatar or biibab, Baibab as, as as Ramanuja calls it, which will be our conception of avatar, which means from up to down the divine entering to this world without being affected by it, with for the purpose of redemption. So para buha, biibab. And then Antaryami, which is not only entering into this world, but entering into every heart. Antaryami, the Paramatma, as we may call. A further extension, further localized extension, more and more localized. And finally, Archa, which is the deity form. Not only in every heart, but appearing outside of our heart, if you will. That deity that is inside our heart, appearing outside of our heart, in a particular way by the grace of the Bhagavan of the Sadu. So it's an interesting way that we may see how the grace of Bhagavan unfolds in self in, in a way that gets closer and closer and closer to us. Mm? So archa. So it's important to really appreciate how much mercy is condensed in that particular form that we consider archebighravasrimoti. Mm? So as I mentioned, in the same way, the deity is non different from Krishna. So we may say the deity of Krishna, but actually, it's, it's an it's a redundant expression Krishna is the deity As the same way Namanami, no. between Nam and Nami the name and the named there is no difference in the same way that the Srimad Bhagavatam hmm, is a book we may say Bhagavatam is a book about Krishna's life but also we say the Bhagavatam is the literary incarnation of the Godhead so it's Bhagavan himself
1: hmm.
0: so the Bhagavatam is a book about Krishna but it's Krishna Srinam is the name of Krishna but is Krishna so similarly the deity of Krishna or Radha Mahaprabhu whoever is actually Krishna himself so that's maybe just a semantic thing but it's important that we have the proper conception in our heart about that and it's not only the deity it's not only Krishna himself but it's a very specific Krishna that will appear in a particular way a particular aspect of Bhagavan that Sri guru will invoke and choose to invite to descend in a place, in particular place, in a particular mood, a particular form, to, 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 to become the master, if you will, of that particular area. And that point was made by Srila Prabhupada when he named some of his deities hmm, Radha, Londanishwar, Radha, hmm. There are many degrees of significance to that, but one of them is this particular form of Bhagavan has become the master of this area. There's a nice story once of one lady who was uh, the owner of one ju- jewler, jewelry jewelry shop uh, and she had a dream with Srimati Radharani. So Srirada Radha, in the dream, she was asking her a particular jewel she had in the shop that she wanted to wear that jewel. You know, so the lady in the dream said, I have no problem of." Gi- giving you that jewel but my point is how do I know who you are which Radha do you are? She, so she understood this is Radha in the form of Archibigraha. So which Radha you are because she's she was an Indian lady so you can imagine there were lots of multis of Sri Radha around the area so she wants to know how do I know who you are? So she say I'm the Radha of such and such math and so on <laughs> such temple in the dream. So she woke up and the next day in the jewelry shop, a brahmachari from that particular math was entering there asking for donations and asking for (laughs) for dakshina and and for the temple. So this is one of many stories that show how not only Krishna is the deity but a particular form identified with that particular situation. Very interesting, very specific. Again, Raga Raga Marga is the path of specificity if you will so with that in mind let's share some words about what's the meaning of entering into the altar for us godias what does it mean to enter the altar how to deal with such a reality so entering the altar means basically to receive an invitation to immerse ourselves deeply into the heart of Sri guru remember the deity is the heart of Sri guru being carved out if you will taking a form outside In the form of the deity, but that deity is in the heart of Sri Guru, who is inviting that particular form to manifest outside. outside. So entering the altar means entering to the heart of Sri Guru. Actually, we are entering the altar by the blessings of Sri Guru, in the service of Sri Guru. We pray to Him before ourselves engaging in Seva there. So the altar, in another words, is a manifestation, external manifestation, of all those things that internally are filling and overflowing the heart of Sri Guru. And he, she, very generously wants to share that with us, extend that with us, mm-hmm. making that available, making that so it may become also part of our own heart. Mm-hmm. Sri Guru wants his heart to be part of our own heart. Mm-hmm. So this altar represents that. Another way we can say the altar represents the yoga pith. Mm-hmm. Yoga will be like the transcendental stage or platform uh, on, eternally on which all the different lilas connected to the particular Istadev in that altar are are playing themselves out. I mean, again, there's not a pa- passive situation in the altar. The whole lila of whatever, Sri Krishna, Krishna Bharara, whoever, the altar represents in that stage, that scenario. So these lilas are going on. So that's why it's important that we may get be very careful not to get overtly attached or extremely attached to the external form of the ritual as if it's the all-in-all when engaging in Arjuna, because our worship may be conducted in a mechanical way without understanding the inner purpose of that, without understanding what's going on there in the altar, who are the people, the personalities there, if you will. So we should be very careful to not idealize Sri Murti, according to our own imagination or our own perception or our own relative necessity and projecting that into the altar and feeling that's what Krishna is about. He's limited to whatever I need and I pray him for No, We should be properly educated with who is each one of those personalities and relate with them properly. Not only related to them according to how I feel hmm, that the deity is interacting with me in this particular stage of my life. But what Going, what's going on in that stage already? Mm-hmm. So for that, we should take shelter of Guru, mm, Sadhu, Shastra to receive proper knowledge, revealed knowledge, perfect knowledge about who is who in the altar. Mm-hmm. And of course, when I say who is who, also important to mention in our particular lineage, of course the main deities that are worshipped are Radha Krishna. Um, for those with affinity for Madhurya Bab, Radha Krishna or Gaur Gadadhar in the context of Gaur Lila or for those with affinity for Sakya-Bhav. Of course, Priyanarma-Sakya-Bhav Sakya, also can worship Rahade Krishna, because Madhurya-Rasa element is present there in one form, but also Krishna-Balaram, Gornitinanda, sometimes Mahaprabhu himself alone is being worshipped, of course, Jagannath-Baladev-Subhadra in some cases, and some other cases, like Panchatattva, Narasimhadev, giriraj Of course, we won't enter into the details of the different nuanced nuances of each worship, but those are like the main deities, and each of them of course have a particular uh, conception, if we will attach to them that we should understand and worship them according to. So for most of us, let's say, regarding entering the altar, worshiping Srimurti, most of us we will say that Bhagavan in the altar is performing what we may call Mona Lila. <laughs> Mona Lila, Mona means silence. Silent lila means we don't hear the deity speaking we don't see the deity moving dancing jumping playing eating generally so he's performing that lila if you will for us uh, mainly because we are not yet if we will willing to engage in such level of committed worship not to feel ourselves discouraged but just to understand that that's still going on even though i'm not seeing that and i'm not hearing that due to the presence of certain an artist in our heart that are clouding if you will our capacity to perceive the ultimate reality of of the altar in a pure way and an alive live living way real way so in the beginning we should conduct our worship with proper knowledge understanding and proper faith faith that carries there is removed the fully present and, and, and that faith comes from sri guru and the vaishnavas who are the ones as my guru marshal say who originally point to us Srimurti is non-different from Bhagavan himself. If we bow our, ourselves down to deities because the Sadhu told us to do so. Hmm? So, basically, that, that's the, the conclusion we should say. No? And, and, and this connection is important to uh, underline the importance of how to relate with the Vaishnavas. Hmm? Because not in the name of worshipping Srimurti, this uh, means Sadhu Sangha. Hmm? Actually, on the contrary... Because as much as saintly people are offended or neglected, as much as in that same level, Bhagavan in the form of Sri Murti won't be present in the altar for us, if you will. And, and that's the quality of the Kanishta Bhakta, says the scripture. Kanishta Bhakta, the Bhagavatam described, uh, says Kanishtha Bhagavata is someone who has some relation with the, with the deity, but do, do not know, does not know how to relate with other people, with Vaishnavs. considers the deity more important than the sadhu. Considers Krishna more present Hmm. in the deity than in the sadhu, while actually in our tradition is the opposite, if you will. Uh, We worship Sri Murti through the sadhu, Hmm. and we understand Sri Murti through the sadhu by the sadhu's education and mercy. Hmm. Hmm. If not, we and we find a lot of this. For example, I don't know, some Hindu may go in India to a temple to see the deity and we put some rupee in the donation box, and we'll pray to Sri Murti, give me blessing for my family, for my job, I want a new card, please Bhagavan. And that's all. And we we'll leave the temple, and maybe there was some Harikata going on, a sadhu was uh, opening his her heart through Harikata, but that person did not pay attention to that, just went to, right to the altar, put the coin, pled for some blessing and left. So that's an example of Kanishka mentality. Mm-hmm. Bhagavan and me, no need of understand the importance of the sad There's a nice story in this regard. I remember once Siddharth Maharaj said that when he was initially visiting the Gaudi Math before officially joining, he went to one ashram where in the, on the first floor in the street, I don't know if you in English call first floor, the, the room that is on the level of the street, there was the temple there. Mahaprabhu was in the altar. And on the second floor, above the altar, was the room of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. So at one point Srila Siddh Maharaj asked why why the deity is down and, and and your guru is on the deity, above the deity. So one devotee told Silas Maharaj and he liked a lot the answer. He said, Yes, on the first floor Mahaprabhu is there in the altar. But on the second floor, Mahaprabhu is also there in the altar in the heart of our Guru. That's that and in that Mahaprabhu is much more present there, if you will, much more active. That altar is special, the heart of three guru. <laughs> And the altar in the first floor is just an, ex- an extension and manifestation of that altar. So that's why the, the topmost, if you will, Mahaprabhu is on the second floor. It's another way of saying, again, we are not speaking worse, better, but emphasizing the active principle of the sadhu. And that, again, a Madhyam Bhakta, above the Kanishta will all start to appreciate the sadhu and will see Bhagavan in the devotee. And that's what makes <coughs> a Madhyam and, not the and Uttam will be Bhagavan everywhere. The deity will be extended everywhere, as my will be universalized. What else? Of course, regarding offering, something important to consider in this connection is that before even offering whatever we may offer in the altar, it is to say that first whatever we offer externally has to be first offered internally. The scriptures say this for someone engaged in sadhana bhakti, the, 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 the engagement in Seba and Archana with different paraphernalia and items will be incomplete if it's not accompanied by Manasa Puja or mental worship. That means if you are offering something externally you are offering that internally first in your heart. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So basically in this way we see that although Archana is engaging all of our external senses its central aspect has more to do with the inner meditation that will be conducting that Seva. So that's why I'm emphasizing all these initial elements that will nourish our meditation on how to approach properly the altar. So the point is one should offer everything. That's a nice concept also. We should offer everything to begin with ourselves to Bhagavan, but we should not also only offer incense or fire or water, but also we should offer, for example, the clothes, if someone... If we are not wearing some remnant from a sadhu and we buy some new clothes or someone gives us a gift, ideally, traditionally, you offer all that first to the deity. Because, again, if you offer yourself to the deity first, whatever comes to you is also part of that offering. Even medicine you can offer to the deity. Of course, you won't put that into a plate, but you can just present in front of the deity or the picture and and pray for that. Even if, I mean, I don't know, Someone may say, medicines may be alcohol, some homeopathic medicines. so are we to offer that to, to the deity? But the point is, everything is offered, because there is no independence. Try to get the point. In our sampradaya, there is no independent life. Whatever comes to me, belongs to my deity. Vaishnava will feel like that always. Mm-hmm. Even once on mind, body, residence, everything is offered to Bhagavan. Mm-hmm. There is no sense of separate ownership and, so in this way through Archana we receive this really most valuable opportunity to to deeply develop our like inner eye of service. And this sometimes is called sevya darshan. Hmm? Darshan means like sight, vision. So sevya, to see in the context of seva. That's called sevya darshan, which means to look at everything with the eyes of seva. To replace gravel in this way, the other type of so called vision, which is more a blindness than a vision, bogya darshan, which means to see everything in terms of sense enjoyment for us, personal, separate enjoyment, selfish exploitation. Mm. So gradually, as much as our worship matures Mm. and grows more and more, expands, our inner service will become more and more prominent and more specific and more ecstatic. Sometimes that's called bhava-seva. The main main thing will be going on internally. That's why sometimes very advanced devotees in their seva to Trimurti, externally they may not not do too many things, may not offer too many things because everything is going on internally. So much is put in the inner world. Of course, that's not an excuse for us to do to imitate that. If we don't have that capacity, we should engage as much as we can externally and to buy and have opulent things for the deity and engage our money and time and energy in that direction. But if you are investing all yourself already inside, externally you may I don't know offer just unsalted bread to the deity as Sanatan Goswami was doing, but with full love and devotion and the deity will be just like that's bhava seva. You will worship the deity according to the bhava that has descended. That won't be found in any Archana Padati, any handbook of worship. Do this, do this. In the beginning you have to invoke certain mantras and, and, and worship in a particular way. But as this matures and give me some few minutes, with your permission. Uh, the worship will again won't be worship; will be loving seva. In the beginning, there should be something of that, and what to speak in the goal. And we have so many stories that tell us about this: mm-hmm. that Krishna is actually in the deity, and how it reciprocates with his sevaka if the devotee has pure pure love. Famous story of. Not only Mother Mohan with Sanat and Goswami and the unsalted bread that we all, all of us know. But before being with Sanat and Goswami, Mother Mohan was with one Brahman called Chobe in Mathura. And it's also a very nice story that he was at his house and the wife of the Brahman was cooking and and, and serving the deity. And at the same time, and the children at home was playing with the deity and, and the deity was jumping from the altar and playing with them. And at one point, the mother was brushing her teeth and at the same time, preparing the, the the offering for Madam Mohan, apparently without following any etiquette, but with full bath, treating Madam Mohan as a family member. So once Sanatana Goswami was going there, doing like bhikshu, like mendicate, asking for alms, begging for alms. And he saw that and said, oh no, no, this is not like this. You should worship the deity in such a way, for you, you should have a bath, you should... You should hear the lectures on Vaishnava etiquette by Padman Ammar. <laughs> you, you cannot worship the deity like that. First you have to brush in the teeth after having a bath, then put tea like Man, then enter the altar. But you are just brushing your teeth simultaneously while preparing the, the offering for the deity. What's this? So the lady say, oh, I didn't know. Sorry, I was worshiping him. And this, I will follow that tomorrow. So the next day she's doing that. And, and the deity said, I don't like this. I don't like this mood. No, I, I don't like, it's boring, I, it's not so affectionate, it's cold-heartened. We'll go back to the previous standard. <laughs> so when Sanatan Goswami heard that he did to say this to, to this lady, he said, oh my God, you have so much love for Mother Mohan. And Sanatan Goswami had some hope that madan Mohan may go with him, but he, he fell out. They have so much love for him that he won't come with me. But eventually madan Mohan revealing a dream to that family and say, I want to go with Sanatan." So he went, but eventually more Lilas, as we know, Happened there, and so many other. You Not know, the deity of Radha Govinda also sometimes used to ask us from the Pujari, some special preparation to eat. <clears throat> from Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find about the story of Sakshi Gopal, and witness Gopal who walked with his devotee, who ate every day, who spoke with him. We have the famous story of Sirachora Chora Gopinath, who stole some sweet rice from Madhavendra Puri, and many other. Raghunandana Thakur given to it something up to it to the deity as a child and the dthi eating everything, and the parents are not believing him. <laughs> so, again, this is the goal. Eventually, diti will start to speak. Now, first we have to perform Diti seva through Sri Guru, and gradually the interaction will become more real. Mm. More and more real. Mm. Uh, to the point that, again, you will tell to the diti I don't have salt, as Sanatan Goswami said. You want salt? I don't have salt. And I know you. You want salt, then you want ghee, then you want sweets, then you want this, then you want that. I'm a mendicant. No? You agreed to come with me on those terms. If you don't like it, you can, you can go back to the previous place. Sanatana was dealing with the deity like that. You won't find that type of interaction in any worship manual. <laughs> so we cannot imitate that. That will be a gradual process. And again, in the beginning, maybe the deity is not speaking to us. But why is not speaking to me, Mona Lila? Because I do not be- behave as if Krishna is really there fully yet. So he's reciprocating accordingly. As my, uh, the same way as we chant without attention and Krishna in the form of Srinam will reply, reciprocate accordingly to our lack of attention or our lack of faith. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like this. It's not that Krishna is hiding purposely for, from us. Mm-hmm. So basically it's gradual, mm-hmm. gradually, gradually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and as my Guru Mara said, also Krishna knows you know, our level of present level of capacity to accept service and give service to him. Because as much as the deity starts to speak he will say, Dity will say I want this, I want that, I want that and I want that, and we won't have time for anything else in our life. We will only have to live for satisfying one after the other of the demands and desires of Krishna. So maybe we are not fully ready to do so so that's why the deity is not speaking yet. Mm-hmm. So it's more passive and we open the altar and we worship, we close the altar we continue with some other Aspects of our lives, we open all this, the deity. Mm -hmm. So, it's a gradual process. Mm -hmm. It's a gradual process. (laughs) So, in this way, Archana is an interesting practice, because, again, we are not yet on Sanatana Goswami's level. Uh, At the same time, we are not materialistic people who think this is a statue, idolatry. So, it's something in between, a sadhakas. So, Archana has to do a a lot with this, the realm of ritual. Realm of ritual means... One, I have one feet in the spiritual world, and I have one faith in the material world. Mm-hmm. Still in the material world, engaging my senses, dealing with ma- material quote-unquote elements, but at the same time, recite in, a pro- in a certain ways, following certain rules, invoking certain mantras, in such a way that they will take to a spiritual experience. And with the spiritual knowledge, uh, helping me to understand, this is not a material affair. Mm-hmm. So the real, actually, this is ritual. So the real ritual for us is to conform ourselves to something greater than ourselves. That means to enter the altar, basically. You are conforming yourself to something greater than yourself. That's a that that in that moment the altar becomes a portal. Because that's what the altar is actually for us a portal into a window to the spiritual world, Sila Prabhupada would say. Once my, my Guru Maharaj mentioned that, as much as you understand that. The idea of Arjuna, he says, is to universalize, or to realize, if you will, the universality of your deity. Not only think Krishna is there inside that particular corner of my house, in the altar, on the temple, but eventually the deity is everywhere. The Kanista Dikari has that mentality. The deity is only in the temple. So he goes to the temple, behaves in a very sacred way, goes out of the temple, the deity is no longer here and starts to behave otherwise. But as much as you progress, you realize, no, the Deity is everywhere.
1: Mm.
0: The universality of your Deity. Mm. That's the vision of the exalted devotees. And what to speak of Srirada, one of her names is Krishnamayi, which means she's filled with Krishna. She's seeing Krishna inside, outside of herself and inside of herself. Whatever she's putting her side, Krishna is there. Krishna is there. Mm. So as much as we realize that, as, we, as, as much as we realize the universality of our Deity, there won't be a place for a moral gap for example, more laps, mm-hmm. as we may be having yet today, because we yet because we may think, oh, Guru is not looking at me, the Vaishnava not here, so I can do this now, but as, as much as you become aware of the universality of this, I mean, you will behave in the same way that you behave in the temple, because you understand, the temple is everywhere, the deity is everywhere, therefore the temple is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Ideally, in my own heart, Mama Mandir, as Bhakti will say. Mm-hmm. The ideal, my guru, Maharaj will say, is that the whole world becomes an udipana. Um, udipana means a stimulant, something that is kindling, kindling, you no, know, putting more wood to the fire of our passionate devotion. The whole world should will become eventually an udipana. That was Mahaprabhu's eyes. He was he saw the ocean, he saw the Jamuna, he saw a, a sand dune, he saw Sri Radha sees a Tamil tree, she sees Krishna, she sees a, a, a deer. She sees Krishna, Krishna's Sarah dear. She sees a cloud, she, she prays for having wings so she can fly and embrace it in the cloud because for her it resembles Krishna's hue. Mm. So, in this way, gradually the, the deity will be universalized. Mm. And, but again, all this has to do with bhakti and the development of bhakti in our heart. As much as that's there, deity will be there. For example, in Hari Bhakti Vilas, we, have, we find lots of details about establishing a temple, installing the deity, worshiping the deity. I won't go into many of those. I will, we will only touch some of them in the next class. But for example, regarding installing a deity, interestingly, it mentioned that the main point of the installation ceremony is called pram pratista, which basically implies that this guru is invoking the presence of Krishna into that particular form. So it is mentioned that there are so many other details about the word installation of the deity, but what is generally done is all those details are mainly to instill faith in the general people about God's presence in the deity. It's not that all those things are required. Uh, if, if the sadhu agrees with, invo- invites Krishna in that form, Krishna is there. Because Bhakti is there, Krishna is there. With Pralap saw Krishna in a column, in a column in the palace of, of so, the point is, where the sadhu is wishing something, that's the active principle. But all the other details, and fires, and mantras, and many things that my Guru will say, someone will say, Oh, there's a big fire there, something important must be happening. Some people think in those terms, <laughs> they need some external display. Hmm? But the main thing is, again, the inner attitude. So, with that attitude, we have to approach the principle of, of Srimurti. Hmm? As Srila Bhaktisanta says we shouldn't feel, I am looking at Srimurti, I am seeing it, but she, he is seeing me. I'm being seen by Srimurti. I'm the object and Srimurti is the subject, not the opposite way. Srimurti is not a Tanmatra, an object of my sight. As Prabhupada Bhaktisanta said, do not try to see Krishna. Mm. try to act in such a way that Krishna wants to see you mm. that's the most fundamental thing the same is with the deity do not try to look at the deity and, and, and force your own material eye into the deity but try to behave in such a way render safe in such a way mm. that Trimurti is, you are taking the attention of Trimurti of Bhagavan so in this way we'll, we should learn to have Darshan of Trimurti it's not just I stand before deity and, and put my axe in that direction I'm having Darshan not necessarily. Hmm. So again, hmm, it's important to, as a conclusion, to emphasize this point. Hmm. This, we shouldn't speak about the deity of Krishna, it's Krishna himself, Archa Avatar, sometimes it's called, hmm, the divine descent of Bhagavan in that particular form. That said, even in, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Pratima, hmm, Pratima Naha Tumi, Sakshat Brajendra Nandana. Hmm. So Pratima Naha means, Pratima means statue, Naha means no. Hmm. You are not. To me, you. So you are not a statue, Mahaprabhu say, Sakshat Brajendra Nandan. You are directly Sakshat, Brajandra, the son of Nanda Maharaj, Brajendra Nandan. So that's the, the ultimate conclusion of Sri Dityas. Mahaprabhu said the same with Srinam. When someone asks Mahaprabhu, Who, what's Srinam? He say, Tamala Shyamala Tu Sriya Shodas Yashoda Krishna Nam Dehiritis hmm. and so on. But the point is, Tamil, for me, is the one who has the color of the Tamil tree and the one who sucks the breast of Jashoda. In other words, he said, for me, Srinamis, none different from Krishna himself. And here he's saying the same Pratima Nahatumi Sakshat The Murti is not an a statue, is directly the son of Nanda Maharaj.
1: Hmm.
0: So, gradually, we should develop, imbibe ourselves into this vision of and, 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 and getting accustomed to deal with diti in those very personalized terms. So let me finish today's kata with one nice, charming story, hmm, which has Srila Sidharmar as his main character in this case, and I think it's, maybe you may know it, it's a very well-known one. and um, It's when, after he started his own mission, Sri Chaitanya Saraswat Mat, uh, he, he used to live in his ashram on the banks of the Ganges in Nabodov and it is said that at one point the government try, tried to take away the few acres acres of land that belonged to the math. So there was some problem at that time uh, in those days the, the government had made a, a law if you will that nobody could own more than one acre of land every person sh- can only have one acre of land and the ashram had four acres so the government wanted to size to take three of them so you can imagine what a disaster this would have been for the ashram the ashram was already built and so many things were in place and the government came with this idea so the government very quickly filled a, a court case trying to take the land from the ashram so Srila Sharma struggled very hard for that not to happen and he succeeded so but how he succeeded Interestingly, he went to court. Mm-hmm. So we can see now the level of Jupta and the different expressions of Archana. <laughs> how, mm-hmm. how the deity can engage us in so many ways of seva. So in court, Silasir Maharaj was there and he argued, okay, the math cons- okay, one acre per person. Our math consists of four people Guru, goranga Radha and Krishna.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was his case. Indian laws. As, we, as you will see, Indian laws are very different. <laughs> you won't be able to say that in Western country, But in India, that's a law. So he said, yes, it belongs to the deity. So it belongs to this four persons, Guru Gorangarada Krishna. So he declared, that's four people, so we can own four acres. So the judge, <laughs> he said to him, it's more complicated than what, the, the what you say, because you can only have three acres, because Radha and Krishna are married, he said, and a couple can only have one acre. That all, all this was going on in, in, in the in the in the court in India. <laughs> so interestingly, Silasia Maras quote start to quote many scriptures that give gave evidence that Radha and Krishna are not married actually, but actually their relationship is one of parakia. They are lovers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So eventually he say, so still we can have the four acres. And and each one can have their own acre. And in this way Silasir won the case and saved the ashram from great difficulty. So, but I share this story for you to have a grasp even on a cultural level how even in a country they can conceive okay, the deity is owning the place and, and how one should conduct and of course this story not only is showing not only how much the deity are actual persons, but also how our seva to them can take many forms outside of the altar, quote unquote. And we should be willing to give ourselves for to engage in them for the pleasure of our istadev, if that even implies a court case or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, some ideas I want to share with you today. As I mentioned, today was more of an introductory, if you will, lecture on the on the theory behind the form of, of the deity, Arche Vigraha, Sri Murti. and during our next lecture, we will start to analyze more practical ways of dealing, having this proper appreciation and, and, and regard for it. So, um, well, we have some some few minutes if there are any questions so you can unmute them yourself I already make that option available so I don't know if there are any questions oh, yes who is speaking Tadas
2: Ta- Tadas yes Yes. tell me um, yeah I would like to ask like um, it's about uh, question about uh, deity worship but it's like my personal case Uh and uh, i would like to know your your opinion or your comments um so just when i started uh, just when i started to chant um <laughs> i used to have these like uh strange visions or something like that and uh, in 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 one of these visions there was you no know, me like sitting in front of of like home altar and i took it as as a sign that they need to have a deity and at that time i didn't know anything about you know about the offenses or something like that it was just maybe after month or two of 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 practicing and i purchased uh, like a simple brass deity of krishna and i started just imitating you know the worship that they used to see in temple or, or like some basics and i continued to do that and then um i was traveling in 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 india and in mayapur i went to one lecture where i heard you know about all these like bad offenses and stuff like that and you know and i was like (laughs) what what am i doing you know and then I I I asked to Maharaj who was like giving that class so okay so what should I do like should I throw him to the Ganges or, or what and he was like he didn't want to, to give me an answer he was like I don't know what what you sh- what you should do and then <clears throat> then I met uh, a person who is like um I don't know how to say that, but he's like a head of deity worship department in Niskan, something like that. And I knew that he is like that, that his position is like that. So I went to him and I asked him like, so I I explained all the situation and that uh, I don't know what to do. And he gave me like, uh, I'm not initiated. So that's the main, the main, the main issue. So he said, okay, so you should do just you know simple worship you know don't get crazy about that you know just uh, wash him daily off of some food daily and just some insect on on, or or fire you know don't don't do too much you know that the main thing is you know to get uh, you know in how to say in in personal contact with with the deity and 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 that's it you know and i was like okay so and i'm doing that since then it's already maybe i don't know 2 or 3 years and uh, but you know from time to time I, I i listen lectures like like this you know about these offenses and stuff like that and uh, like from time to time you know these thoughts comes to my mind so what what am i actually doing here you know if if i'm doing some nonsense or or you know, or, or should I just you know continue doing like basically what what instructions I got? You no, know? so well, what what do you think about all of your situation? Mm-hmm.
0: And how do you feel about doing this all this time? Do you feel there is some positive result of the worship you have been doing, the seva you have been doing?
2: Yeah, it's it's it, how do you say it's um, here he become you know like like a part of me I'm um, you know everywhere when i'm traveling i'm traveling mm. with him you know I, i'm scheduling my daily activities you know that i could do you know what <clears throat> what what am i doing you know and yeah i, I don't I, I don't even i don't even imagine you know life differently but you know mm-hmm. but i but on the, on the other hand you know i'm thinking you know that you might get you know get used to any activity so I'm not sure you know if, if I'm just you know got used to to, to that you know like um like uh, I don't know like some kind of any activity or it's actually you know some personal um, yeah,
0: yeah and it's connection o- and it's only a deity of Krishna or Krishna with someone else no
2: no 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 just Krishna
0: okay so yes of course as you say one may get Accustomed to everything and anything and um, but of course, that may require certain introspection from your side to see if you feel that this daily practice that you have been conducted during these years is has been really helpful i'm not I was not asking if you got accustomed or not, but <laughs> how how do you feel internally that's affecting your daily practice? I personally wouldn't say that you go mad after paranoia because of being an operadi and so on because. Uh, I, I wouldn't take it like that. Uh, all, but also, yes, what I will recommend in time, again, I, I'm not your guru, so I don't should be spoken with, with someone that is your guru or someone who you aspire to become the disciple of, because it's a very personal thing, as you mentioned. No? But what I could say, eventually, it's not something that has to be done now, but at one point, generally, we don't worship Krishna alone as a deity but generally he's with Radha or he's with Balaram depending on on, on particular case I'm not saying again it's, it's useless what you are doing I'm not saying that but my point is eventually in time sometimes that may get may help to help you to conceive in one particular direction of course one can start doing so mentally because I, I don't think you are worshipping Krishna and thinking Krishna exists by alone by himself in Vrindavan. there's nobody else around him, (laughs) so naturally one one can project a particular environment around him in in the worship, daily worship so I will say that you can continue doing what you are doing, I I won't go into the extreme paranoia of of other things like that Uh, but I will say of course in time, if if you get the blessings of of receiving Harinam and Diksha eventually by Sam Sattu, of course under his, her guidance, there will be some particular uh, things to consider in connection to worship and then you may have to to do some adjustments for better, for always not never for less than what you are receiving already so that will be my little advice at a distance, if you will, and and not knowing maybe further details of, of yourself and the daily situation, again, it's a very personal thing but I hope that may have helped a little bit to your situation there Okay, something else, another question, comment Mm-hmm. Maharaj. Yes, Dandavat
3: pranam. Prana. I, ha- I have a question about uh, something you mentioned about uh, <clears throat> kirtan in the in the uh, recap in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something you had said before also that uh, when doing kirtan, one shouldn't mention the the the, the guru one's own guru, because that's that could be exclusive and, and other people might not feel uh, welcome and so on. Uh, and, and that re, uh, would also uh, refer to saying prana mantras. But uh, one thing that we've been doing here, and I'd like to hear your opinion mm-hmm. about this Maharaj, one thing that we've been doing here in Finland when we have gatherings with many uh, people from different sanghas, is that when we do the Mangala Charana first before starting the Kirtan, uh, we say all the Guru, uh, all the, the disciples, uh, all the devotees. They will say the Pranam Mantra of their own Guru, so that uh, there might be uh, uh, some Guru from Iskon, uh, our Guru Maharaj, uh, my Guru Maharaj, um, narayan Maharaj, some others. Uh, what do you think about this?
0: Hmm. Well, that's interesting. I never, I never hear about that, that practice. But I'm not saying it's a thoroughdox or something like that. It's, it's interesting because it goes in line with the principle behind the point that I was making, which is again, do not make anyone feel out, if you will. I mean, all the particular faith is being properly addressed and honored and included so i i appreciate the what, what you are doing that in that way of course if you if you are if you have you you can even extend the idea and say well but there may be some other participants in the kirtan that we are not seeing some invisible entities descending to be part and they have their own gurus and we are not reciting their but <laughs> well, we may say okay but they they we give them a turn and invisibly they are reciting their paramount of their particular gurus there and everyone so, again, it's not something to go neurotic, but the very gist of principle behind is what I mentioned. So, I agree. I, I have no problem if, if that's uh, done in that particular way. Or sometimes the same principle applies before uh, giving Harikata. Sometimes one may sure. give Personally, my letteran is not the... I, I pronounce just a generic Mangaleteran, as you see before my lectures, not the direct pronouncement of my Guru Manas, in, in order to include of the present, but sometimes that can take the form of reciting the pranam mantra of your Guru Maharaj, but also reciting the pranam mantra of, of the guru of those present at that particular moment. Of course, nowadays, with online lectures, that may get a little bit more difficult. <laughs> you don't know who is there and whose guru is, is everyone, but but yeah, the principle is to properly honor. So at least I personally, I uh, I agree with what you are doing there. So it's a nice, nice standard. It's the same thing taking another form, basically, no? The, the main point is not to neglect that principle, whatever form it may take. So, but thank you for sharing the the testimony and fin- finished testimony there. Okay, there is one question from Onkar, so we can go with that one to, to close our session. You can un- unmute yourself, Onkar.
4: Thank you for the class. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, it's kind of to puzzling me for a while now, because <clears throat> it seems like to me from all the scriptures and all the ways that people worship deities in the past, all the acharias, uh, that it's very obvious to me that we're to establish the Ishtadev that we worship as our, our form of the Lord, as said in the Bhagavatam. And, and we have that concept in our hearts when we're worshiping, like say, Krishna Balaram, Daudi Kopal here in Madhuvan. But so many devotees have so many different deities, in their altar, say, their Krihasta, they have, might have, I saw somebody in Sarnagati, and it's not a criticism, it was beautiful altar and everything. I'm just having a hard time understanding them having, I think they had over 10 different sets of deities, there was all kinds, from Jagannath to Radhakrishna and uh, what have you. So how how is that to be understood? I mean, how, I don't know if you understand or if you can answer in that that way. How is one to understand? Like, what is the mentality of a person who has ten different deities? How are they ever gonna establish the instead or if that even is the purpose?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was actually planning to speak about that next class, but I will I will speak now since you make the question, and of course we can share some further ideas, um, in the, in next next Monday. But yeah, sometimes we see that we see like some multi portal to different. Uh, realms, if you will, not even, even, even not only. Let's say, Braj uh, but we may have Raj Lila, Gor Lila, Vishnu Tatwa, Narayan, Ram Lila. So, uh, personally, I, I do not agree with that. Of course, its case and its situation, which you analyze the details of that, how the deity came, blah blah blah. But it's for me. It's important to have a clear conception of of the altar because as we mentioned the altar is a particular portal particular window to a particular realm so that should be really properly established because if not they may create some conceptual hodgepodge where you have even developed this idea of the more deities i have the more mercy or something like that and really you don't have a, any clear conception about how to worship what's the mood because if you have in the same altar and nashrim uh, Mahaprabhu, Radha, Krishna, Krishna Bala, I mean, what's the mood there? <laughs> I mean, Santa Rasa, basically, something equanimity, because there are so many things to say, so, in those cases, generally, as we have seen in many places, they have separate altars for different deities, you will see separate altars, oh, that's the deal, I mean, the other day we went to some temple, South Indian temple, another Sampradaya, but even they, they respect this idea, they have Benkatesh or in the same main altar, but they have different altar for Nishimadev, Hanuman, Kartikeya, La, so on. So you can see a particular portal of reality there and there and there. So personally I, I prefer a more minimalistic approach when you have one main deity and of course there may be the, the pictures of the Parampara in some lineages there do not even have the pictures of the Parampara which is more something more established with Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Sarabhati Thakur trying to emphasize this point of approaching the deity through the Vaishnava, through the Parampara, and, ser- and projecting to serve eternally the deity, and serving eternally the Parampara as well. But sometimes that's not there, so that can be, that can be not, no problem. But but yeah, I and, and for example, even in, in our particular tradition, I don't know, we have worship Radha Krishna, Uh but ideally, you shouldn't mix other deities. Now The other day, for example, here we, we had the mercy of receiving the shilas that were worshipped by Karnamrita Prabhu. They were sent to North Carolina and they will be put under the care of local devotees in the community here. So most of them were Salagram shilas, but there was a pair of Girash shilas, which Karnamrita Prabhu worshipped them as Kanuram, which is another name for Daoji or Krishna Balaram. So... Here, the devotees, the, the the shilas came here to the place I'm saying now, to Subal's Prabhu's house. So the shilas were welcomed, they were put in the altar, but like a natural thing, they come and they were put in the altar. <clears throat> the shilas of Kanuram will be eventually worshipped by Madan Gopal Prabhu, so they were delivered to him, I think, today. But during this one, two days, they were all of them in the altar. But I say to Subal, sorry, I don't want to... <laughs> Deserve your your archon, but Kanurama or Krishna Balaram, and if you put them in the altar, in the altar we have here Radha Sarat Bihari, which is Radha and Krishna. So if you have Radha and Krishna, ideally you shouldn't have Krishna Balaram in the same altar because Balaram is the elder brother of Krishna, he's Dauji. So Radha and Krishna cannot have their intimate lila with the presence of the elder brother; they will be in, in, inhibited. So you and, and I was saying to him, of course jokingly, say. Okay, if you want to, to have Kanuram for this one today there, just for you to know, Radha and Krishna cannot have their intimate Lila these two days. So <laughs> we were laughing, of course, and he agreed. And of course, we ta- we took Kanuram to some other place next to Tulasi, some other altar, if you will. But there, there these are subtle considerations that in the beginning, we may not pay attention to that and may just think, mercy of Krishna, I have this deity and this deity and I have Ladugopal and Shreem Gadev and Ramachandran and Hanuman and Mahaprabhu and three sets of Radha Krishna and 108 Salagrams <laughs> I may have this more idea of the the, the more the better and, and that's not necessarily like that, sometimes that may create a, a multi-branched conception that does not get in too focus in any direction, so ideally we should have one particular deity according to whatever our affinity is or our Guru's instruction is. Or if we don't have a deity, of course, we worship some particular form of the Lord according to the shelter of Srila Gurudev. But, yeah, personally, I, of course, sometimes you go to India and there are so many altars with so many deities or sometimes they have four sets of Radha and Krishna. <laughs> but there are some particular cases there I don't think it's wrong. Sometimes there is a big set of deities, smaller set for certain Abhishek, or, or Julen Yatra, or whatever, or some deities that were worshipped by, I don't know, you go to Radha Damodar temple, there are different sets of Radha Krishna worshipped by Jiva Goswami, Baladev vidyabhushan Krishna Kaviraj, so no problem, it's not, it's not redundant, if you will, <laughs> but to mix different types of moods in the altar, that's another thing, no, so... I will say I will recommend. Of course, everything at the end it's up to one's own guru and what he/she instructs the disciple. But generally, the general idea is that you should try to take care of of the concept in that particular portal, if you will. So the worshiper can really enter there because that's the whole idea of Artana. You are to enter into the altar. You are to serve there forever. So for that sambandha first is required, proper conceptual orientation and only then we will have proper abhideya and what to speak proper prayotan, so these are some of the words, so I hope that helps okay, so thank you very much to all of you, Srila Gurudev ki jai Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai uh, Sri Bharatri ki jai Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai Gaur Pramanda Haribo